Welcome to The Church We Fight For, universal, inclusive, and just, where we examine not what the Catholic Church is against, but what the Catholic Church stands for. Hey everyone, welcome to The Church We Fight For, universal, inclusive, and just. We are back with another podcast, and today's topic is... It's a big one. I think it affects about at least half the population in the world. And uh, it's a conversation that I think is long overdue in the church. And today's topic is women and their role in the life of the church. This podcast kind of came out of a discussion on Pope Francis's call for a more developed theology of women. And... I, I understand where Pope Francis is coming from in saying we need a theology of women. I appreciate that he's bringing women to the conversation. However, as I was thinking about this more, I was thinking, I think we have to change the lens through which we look. Because the more I say theology of women, the more I realize there's not a theology of men the more I realize theology of women starts to sound kind of separate and not quite equal, but it sounds like it's equal. So I think the lens through which we should look at women and the life of the church is more women need to be invited to the table of theology. Women need to be more active and invited more often to the table of the church. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We've got a list of things that we can talk about. We could probably talk about this for days and over um, several episodes, but we're going to jump off and we'll see where it goes. Um, so I guess the first question that we can discuss is kind of where do we even go in the church to hear the voices of women? Scripture, right off the bat. The easy answer always seems to be the most obvious one. And while it's not necessarily well-developed often in preaching, a good, even casual look at the Old Testament throws out many of the heroes as women. But our prayer doesn't always lead us in that direction. We speak of, and our prayers will lead us to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But we don't include Sarah. Well, in doing that, we reinforce the patriarchal structures that are already there. Virtually everybody I know who is working for the church or is heavily involved in the church, got their initial formation on the lap of their mothers. Now, I was fortunate enough to have both my parents reinforce those things, but without the faith of my mother, I would not be working for the church as I do. And it wasn't the kind of quiet, nurturing faith in my mother. It was where the strength came from. And we can look at the characters of Scripture from the Old Testament right through the Gospels, and the strongest people there outside of Jesus Christ himself are always 
the women. Peter, with his bold pronouncements and sometimes wrong-headed answers, was deep down a coward. And I'm not saying that because I'm not a coward. I'm saying that because that's what all men are deep down, is we're cowards. When push comes to shove, it's the women that hold strong. You can see it in our world right now in Afghanistan. It's the women that are fighting the tough battles right now. It's the women that are fighting for their families. And in the gospel, we see it in the Blessed Mother. Mary's the strong one. We oftentimes, and I think it's more because of art than anything else, but we see her as so precious and fragile. But she wasn't. She was the one at the foot of the cross. When everybody else ran scared and were hiding, she was there. Even though it was tearing her heart in two, she was there. Feminine theology from a male perspective, for me, has always been about strength and how we find strength sometimes in putting aside bravado and looking internally. And I think that's where we can see it in the women of Scripture. I agree. The women of Scripture, I mean, so strong. And to look at Mary, I Mary is always touted as the first disciple, which clearly she is. But when you look at Luke and look at when the angel came to her, she wasn't just like, okay, let's do it. She she asked questions. She was she showed her strength. And what I love is in the translation, I'm looking at the New Revised Standard Version translation, and she responds... And then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it, be, let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. I love that because some translations you hear, let it be done unto me, like she's a passive character in her own life story. Actually, what she's saying is bring it. Right. She's, she, she's saying, all right, God, if I, I'm saying yes to the person you want me to be. And that's what we all should be saying is that, yes, God, I will be the person you want me to be. In all of, looking at the doctors of the church, Teresa of Avila, Julian of Norwich, uh, Therese of Lisieux, they all talk about conforming your will to God's will. And sometimes that's really hard to understand, but another way of saying it is you're just becoming the person God wants you to be. Who's the hero of the French people? It's not Napoleon. It's Joan of Arc. That's the symbol they fight behind. So there's a lot of strength. And Jesus used images that were feminine to describe himself. The image in Luke 13 of the hen gathering her brood under her wings. Jesus used that for himself when talking about Jerusalem because there was strength there. And he knew it from his own mother. The problem is we don't like to be in touch with that part. And I don't know where the root of it comes from, but for males to admit that strength isn't always about physical prowess as much as it is about internal fortitude. And from the faith, it's, it's about a faith willing to 
surrender, which is what Jesus did. He surrendered to the love of the Father. We're asked to surrender to God, to say, I trust you so much that I'm going to go there and lay my life before you because I know you're going to be the one that takes care of me. You're going to be the one that gives me what I need. Men didn't do that. They always had a backup plan. Mm. But it's the women that were able to say yes. You even look at the church now, 21st century, the voices that are the most challenging and fearless are the women theologians. It's true. Think of the Elizabeth Johnsons out there who have the courage to say things. And they'll say it, and they'll have the whole conference of bishops ready to fight them, and they don't back down. Now, I think part of that is because they've got absolutely nothing to lose. There's nothing like being to a point where you can't do anything anyway about it, so you speak truth. And perhaps part of the problem we have in the church with our male-dominated clergy is that deep down everybody's still trying to protect their own turf or their own advancement. So they might walk out to the edge, but they won't jump in. And our women theologians jump in. I had the privilege of knowing a little bit of um, Sandra Schneiders, who is one of the brilliant theologians in our country. And to a person, every male student of hers respected her and was scared of her. And not scared is that she was a threat, but if I'm going to say something that challenges something she said, I better know what I'm talking about because she's grounded and she's thought it through and she's developed it. I'm not always sure from a patriarchal side we carry things that far. We use force of will rather than good theological argument. And you can see that in a lot of things in the church right now. I think that is absolutely true. I know speaking as a woman, whenever I present an idea, I've got contingency plans planned out. I've already, okay, if this is the response, this is my response. I've kind of planned this out and thought it through because in a way it always feels like the fight is just a little bit harder. It's just, a. I don't want to yell, but I have to speak just a little bit louder to have my voice be heard. And it's not that I think men are anti-women. I think we just think differently. And like you said, part of it is, okay, well, I'm just going to force. I don't have to think it all the way through because we're just going to do it. And for whatever reason, sometimes people respect that. And they're like, okay, well, um, this guy said to do it, so we're just going to do it. Whereas if a woman, woman says, do this, there seems to be several follow-up questions I can laugh about it now, but it, it's just a symptom of, the like you said, the patriarchal society. Without sounding too condescending, when I really need to dig deep into myself, the only way I can do that is through the counsel of a woman. From a little Irish nun I had as a spiritual director years ago, to a female psychologist. 
because they will always push me in areas that I don't want to go. And I think as a man, we tend to do that. We have certain boundaries and walls we put up. And they're usually having to admit emotional things that I don't, it, that I'm sure most of it's cultural. I've, I've said this to people before. I, one of the phrases I used to hear from my dad quite a bit, my dad was a wonderful man, but he would say, cry, I'll give you a reason to cry. And sometimes we got a reason. And we need somebody that's going to pull that out of us. And strong masculine ways of thinking, including theologically, never take us to that level. That female perspective, maybe because femininity is a little bit more gentle, like if we're speaking in broad general terms, you know, that's maybe one of the characteristics of the feminine is, is gentleness. But when you're having the layers peeled back, that gentleness really does help. I mean... Isn't it... It's the difference between military action and diplomacy. For most males, the default position is the military action. It's we're going to dominate one way or the other. Where perhaps for very obvious reasons, a female perspective tends to be more of a diplomatic perspective because in most situations you're not going to win the military battle, but you're going to win the argument mm -hmm. or you're, or you're going to find the compromise that needs to happen. And even look at most of the teachings that have come out of the church after like, the early councils. The early councils, I think, deep down had a much more feminist approach to things. But from Trent on, anyway, they were very much black and white answers to things. And black and white answers rarely, if ever, cover all the bases or are 100% truth. Because guess what, folks? Life exists in the gray area. Life exists in the unknown. And to acknowledge the unknown can seem weak, when in reality it isn't weak. It's honest. And I think that's where feminist theologians can help the church. Um, one of the quote, and it's a paraphrase of a quote, was from Carl Jung, who on understanding and talking about the church's belief in the assumption of Mary, said that was one of the greatest gifts the church gave to the Christian world because it put a feminist understanding on God. And that's coming from a non-Christian. But prior to that, everything was dominated by a male way of thinking, when in reality, God is all things. So God is not just male. Our, under, our, our words we use are limited by our, our language, but they're metaphor too. God is bigger than what our language can describe. And to have a f feminine understanding of God, be it from the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, which in many writings of the church and in Judeo-Christianity have given 
feminine pronouns to our understanding of spirit, as a Catholic, we've tried to eliminate that. So we replace those. When we t refer to the Holy Spirit, we use the pronouns he or him. Well, that's not really very traditional. And it's not accurate either because, I mean, all of the characteristics of the Spirit, wisdom is referred to as Sophia in in the Bible. And clearly, that's feminine. And so there's so much that we've tried to ignore. I, I think in trying to uphold the patriarchy, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater because we've lost all sight of the nuance and the beauty and in trying I, I think the I, I think we're we're trying to recapture that. And we're you hear all the time like it's okay for men to show emotion. That doesn't make you less of a man. In fact, people argue that makes you more of a man because that that shows that you're in touch. Right. With your you understand, like you have emotions. That makes you a well rounded individual. And so to to put that to push that down for so long, it has it's made the patriarchy so cold because there's no compassion. We can't feel. We can't right. have those emotions. The uh, I, I can't remember who I heard say this the first time, but I believe there's a lot of truth in it. That one of the reasons why, as a church, we have become so patriarchal is because men have a hard time dealing with temptation. And... So if women can be pushed to the fringes, we keep the temptation at a distance. It, it's the old Adam and Eve story. You know, Eve gets blamed. Well, if okay, then if Eve, Eve's the reason that that temptation came about after responding to the serpent, then men are stupid because we were the ones that just bought along with it. But we don't want to talk about that side of the equation. A better way and... and a way that I think the church is eventually going to have to get to a point we grasp, and this is a top, whole other topic, but how we deal with human sexuality, which we've never really dealt with, other than turning it into a function rather than a holistic approach. But as long as we keep it as a function, in a way it still has the ability to, to oppress the feminine. We're seeing that now in, I mean, just playing out in, in society. The fact that it's just, a, women are just an easier target. Well, barely, it's barely only been, what, about a hundred years since women have been able to vote in this country for crying out loud. Or own property, all, right. all right. of these things. But even look at, particularly in Acts and some of the some of those New Testament writings, even then we were seeing the women were the leaders in the family. And maybe, I don't want to put too much motive behind it, but maybe we're even wrong on where we see power at. Maybe it's an illusion that men are the ones that hold the power. Maybe it really is the women that hold the power in most things. We have a joke with my parents who own a small business my mom has a mug and it says, do you want to talk to the man in charge or the woman who knows what's going on? 
And I, I, I think that can be applied to a lot of different things. Um, but looking at scripture, I keep coming back to Mary's song, you know, when she goes to visit Elizabeth. And I'm just going to read um, this from, from Luke. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and Sarah, and to his descendants forever. Mary's Song In my imagination, why does Jesus go to the marginalized, to the women, to the outcast? Because I believe Mary saying this to him every night as a lullaby. You were talking about how women absolutely instill the faith and, and uphold the faith in so many families. I think about my grandma and how she played at mass. Um, she played the organ at mass and how she would sing and how song was such a huge part of her faith and passing on that faith. I think Jesus heard that song every day. What a formative portion of his life. And because his human, his human nature did need to be formed. He wasn't born a perfect, perfect human with all of the emotions. Like he still had to live his humanity and learn those things and Mary fully was human in all things but sin meaning right. I can not get it all the time right so who would he go to he would go to Mary he would remember this song so when he started his public ministry it just makes sense and what a beautiful song for God to put on Mary's heart again to for her to accept who God wants her to be and, and to have this role for Jesus forming him raising him, all of these things. It just makes our our Christian faith is steeped in femininity and that nurturing. And you're never going to win souls by forcing them. Well, Jesus uses, used subtle things often that we lose 2,000 plus years after these stories were, were, were written down. But just this past weekend... 27th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus adds the part at the end, and if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. That wasn't even possible. He made her an equal by doing that. The story of the woman caught in adultery, never, well, where the heck was the man? Weren't they both there? All kinds of speculation we don't know. But what was he scribbling along on the ground when he bent down and started to write in the sand? One of the ones I hear, and I, I like to think probably had something to do with it, was it was the name of the man she was with. Or it was the names of the people that were gathered there ready to chuck a stone at her, what they had been up to. He stood in front of that woman. What a, what a powerful image. He stood in front of her and said, all right, throw the first stone. I've got a piece of artwork given to me years ago, 
And at Jesus holding the stone out, standing between this woman bent over in fear and the crowd, he was constantly sticking up and equalizing those kind of relationships. You know, we don't know, but there's all kinds of, of belief out there that Mary of Magdala was a lot more prominent character than we actually have in the scriptures because people wouldn't have written those things from a cultural standpoint. But that, you know, she was with the 12. And her influence would have been great. It's too bad we don't have some of those, those original stories that we can use today. It just might bring us a little more balance. Total tangent here. But I do not claim to be a canon lawyer, nor do I play one on TV. But one of my wishes I've always had, and maybe Pope Francis will do it, I doubt it, he would, just it's too tough, but is to appoint a female cardinal. Because my understanding of, of, of canon law is the only qualification you actually need to be named a cardinal is to be a baptized Christian, period. Everybody thinks you need to be a bishop. You don't. And he's already proven that um, over the years, with, with, and Pope Benedict did too with some of the appointments he made, Avery Dulles for one of them. Um, but to give a position to one of our great female theologians, to have a role to play in the selection of the next Roman pontiff would be pretty powerful. We'd have to change the terminology because whenever you hear a news media talk, they call them the princes of the church. Well, that's really not what they are. They're servants of the church. If we're, if we're Technically, going... their only role is to elect the next pope. I, I think what you just described is how we are missing a piece of the story and not having the role that Mary Magdalene played or the role that Mary and Martha played in the lives of the disciples. But we're going to fall into that same trap today. And we have fallen into that same trap because, again, we're still not allowing women, like you said, to be in those positions of influence. I want to call them positions of power, but positions of influence to let their voices be heard. And so in another 2,000 years, if we don't change, people are going to be looking back saying, what the heck were the women doing? I'm sure they were playing a huge role. We've got some things, there's, but the stories of the everyday women are lost. And that, I think, would be a huge travesty. All I need to do is look at the existence of any American Catholic parish and how the things run. You've got the male pastor, perhaps uh, a parochial vicar or two, but the majority of the jobs are handled by women. And there's a multitude of factors that go into that from their willingness to not see money as the only thing that matters in their life. So they're willing to work for what church wages are, which are never great, to the ability to say they want to devote their lives to the service of the church and the people of God. I don't know why it is that way, but you don't see as many males going into that. Here's a hypothetical for you if the women who work in the parishes who work in the diocesan offices 
who work in the church around the world if the women were to go on strike. Shut her right down. For a week. We're closed. Come back next week. We'll see if we open back up. We're closed. The life of the church flows through women. And maybe it's because I think you, you, you are right. There has to be, women have to be, in a sense, kind of fearless to exist. I mean, just looking at the news, I, I don't know if you can turn on the news anymore without hearing about a woman being abducted or a woman being killed for simply walking down the street or for going on a hike with her boyfriend. You can't hear, you, you just hear those stories. So it really does come, feel like as a woman, you have to be fearless to leave your house because you don't know what's going to happen. But I think, and I think that's true for everyone. You don't know what's going to happen, but it seems like there's a little bit more danger as a woman. And so to be able to come to the table, the theology table, or even just to come to the table of the church and have influence, have a voice, and be heard. It does it does a service not only for the women of the church, but for the church as a whole, as we've seen in in scripture and even in our tradition and in the doctors, our female doctors of a of the church. Which, by the way, here's a little tangent. It drives me crazy that we have awesome doctors of the church: Catherine of Siena, Therese of Lisieux, Teresa of Avila. But when you look at how they're listed in a liturgical calendar. Virgin. They are always virgin, comma, doctor of the church. What an insult. I told you, until <laughs> we have, or until we develop a better understanding of human sexuality from a holistic standpoint, that's where we're at. Why does that add credibility to anything? It doesn't. It, and also, how many male saints are listed? As virgin, comma, whatever. I don't think Augustine would be on that. No, Augustine for sure would not be on that list. You know, Augustine's the one who said, Lord, make me chase, just not yet. <laughs> but uh, you're, you're right. Until we have this idea, this idea of humanity that isn't perfect, for whatever reason, the church wants to live in this idyllic world. But the kingdom is not, it's at hand. It's not here yet. Doesn't that whole emphasis on that though go all the way back it's it's pagan at its root Uh, i've got to find some virgins to sacrifice yeah it's pagan at its root we've made progress but we haven't made the progress that i think we ought to have made by now those in power in the church are still trying to silence people who are trying to make their voices heard well we are still waiting on women to be included in the permanent diaconate there is not an historical argument to be made to prevent that. Even the most conservative theologians will admit that truth. So why are we waiting? If we've got the permanent diaconate, it, it, we should absolutely have women. And wouldn't that make sense as you talked about balance earlier to balancing what needs to be heard? And because part of that ministry is preaching. It's great um, that we can hear from priests in, in their homilies as, as single men, and we can hear from possibly married deacons who, you know, husband, who, ha- who are husbands and have children. That's great, but we're still missing half the population and that experience. 
the church is built upon experience. And that's where a lot of that doctrine comes from is how the church fathers and mothers experienced God, how the apostles and disciples experienced Jesus. That's where our doctrine comes from. And the, our doctrine is not static. It should still be dynamic. But because we have not had a voice, you know, women have not had a voice for so long, I don't think the church is as dynamic as what God wants it to be. Well, we often get asked in just about every parish in every diocese in the United States to pray for vocations. I do, but I put a twist on it. I pray that we accept the vocations that the Spirit is giving us, which is a little bit different. Because what we like to do is tell God what we want. We want vocations. We want celibate male vocations. Well, what if God's trying to say, I got another idea for you? Can't talk about that. Because that would be the Holy Spirit moving, and she might not, they might not want to listen to her. Which could lead us into our upcoming topic. Can't put new wine in old wineskins. How do we develop a church that understands that? I think that's a fantastic topic, and we are going to cover that next episode, so make sure you come back. And as we leave you with this episode, if you're a woman listening to this, know that your voice is valued, that you have a voice, and God is just, God wants you to be the person that you are. And all you have to say, like Mary, be strong and say, okay, let's do this. And for men listening to this, as a woman speaking to you, listen to the women in your lives. If it's your mom, your grandma, your sister, your wife, your best friend. Let you know a little secret. We already do. Well, thank you. So continue to listen to them. Maybe I should say this. Continue to listen to them, but also help their voice be heard. Because real change comes when we work together, when we work in tandem with one another. And so we want to thank you for joining us, and we hope you guys have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us on The Church We Fight For, Universal, Inclusive, and Just.